So we turn our attention to God's Word. Um, Habakkuk uh, chapter 3 uh, we'll be reading today. And this is found on page 786 in the Bible um, in front of you on the pew back. Habakkuk chapter 3, uh, page 786. Some of this should sound very familiar to you who have been singing Habakkuk 3 with us uh, the last several weeks, the beginning of this chapter as well as the very end. Let's turn our attention to God's Word. A prayer of Habakkuk the prophet, according to Shigianoth, O Lord, I have heard the report of you, and your work, O Lord, do I fear. In the midst of the years, revive it. In the midst of the years, make it known. In wrath, remember mercy. God came from Timan and the Holy One from Mount Paran. His splendor covered the heavens, and the earth was full of His praise. His brightness was like the light. Rays flashed from His hand, and there uh, He veiled His power. Before him went pestilence, and plague followed at his heels. He stood and measured the earth. He looked and shook the nations. Then the eternal mountains were scattered. The everlasting hills sank low. His were the everlasting ways. I saw the tents of Kushan uh, in affliction. The curtains of the land of Midian uh, did tremble. Was your wrath against the rivers, O Lord? Was your anger against the rivers or your indignation against the sea? Uh, When you rode on your horses, on your chariot of salvation, you stripped the sheath from your bow, calling for many arrows, Selah. You split the earth with rivers. The mountains saw you and withered. The raging waters swept on. The deep gave forth its voice. It lifted its hands on high. The sun and moon stood still in their place at the light of your arrows as they sped, at the flash of your glittering spear, you marched through the earth in fury. You threshed the nations in anger. You went out for the salvation of your people, for the salvation of your anointed. You crushed the head of the house of the wicked, laying him bare from thigh to neck. You pierced with his own arrows the heads of his warriors who came like a whirlwind to scatter me. Rejoicing as if to devour uh, the poor in secret. You trampled the sea with your horses, the surging of mighty waters. I hear, and my body trembles. My lips quiver at the sound. Rottenness enters into my bones. My legs tremble beneath me. Yet I will quickly wait for the day of trouble to come upon the people who invade us. Though the fig tree should not blossom, nor fruit be on the vines, the produce of the olive fail, and the fields yield no food, the flock be cut off from the fold, and there be no herd in the stalls, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will take joy in the God of my salvation. God the Lord is my strength. He makes my feet like the the deer's. He makes me tread on the high places. To the choir master, 
with stringed instruments. God's holy word. May the Holy Spirit cause it to make sense to us, understand it. It is an easy thing to be uh, uh, distracted from Jesus Christ. We are busy people, and in our busyness, uh, Jesus can grow unimportant to us. In fact, at times, and we may be ashamed to say it, at times he can even be boring. It is easy to drift. And drifting, by definition, means you're not even aware of it till you're significantly off course. This is spiritual drifting. Um, soon enough, um, Gail and I will be joining our, our kids up on the coast of Penobscot Bay. And one of the things that we enjoy very much is, is getting out in our little skiff and, uh, and rowing there on, on the bay. And, and it's a good thing. You show yourself to be a good oarsman if you're able to if you're able to row in a straight line instead of zigging and zagging out of control. So you have steady strokes. Uh, you try to apply equal pressure uh, on the oars as you're pulling them in, and, and then you notice the path behind you. And every boat does leave a path behind it in the in the in in, in its wake there, uh, and you and you see that there's a big curve in it. <laughs> And the current, which was unseen, was drawing you off course. And just maybe your right arm was stronger than your left, and you are just, you're just going back and forth. Going further and further off course. That can happen to Christians, too. Um, there's a writer named Octavius Winslow, and I just wanted to quote this guy because I like saying his name, Octavius Winslow. Great name. But he wrote about um, the drift of the human heart, the Christian heart. He, he wrote about um, indicators that show you when you're getting off course or have gotten off course and are drifting away from Christ. And I want to mention four of them this morning before we look at our text. Four of them. One is um, a, a sense of God's grace weakens. A sense of God's grace for you weakens. And this is characterized by more knowledge of God than experience of Him. More knowledge of truth than experience of power. And as your sense of God's grace weakens, your heart is growing hard towards Jesus. The the second is, is you lose the sweetness of God as Father. It is an easy and natural thing for you and me to be more duty-bound than having our Christian work tinged with delight. Can I say that? It is an easier thing, a more natural thing, for us to be duty-bound, which is a good thing, but duty that is not also just dripping with delight. Uh, We ought to have our devotions. We feel that. When we get up, don't we? We ought to be in church on Sunday. We feel that, don't we? Well, yes, we ought to do those things, but not that kind of ought. We lose the sense of the Father's nearness and His tenderness, and living that way can be exhausting. The third thing is we can, um, 
um, we can uh, drift away from God's people. If, if our hearts are drifting from Jesus, our hearts will also be drifting away from God's people. And we will find them uh, somewhat boring, or, or um, we will be resentful of the things that they do against us. We just may be cool before them. And there is generally a sense of superiority. And so we just, Jesus loses his preciousness, and, and so do other people. And the, and the fourth is this, that we, um, let, listen to what, what Octavius said, we, we have few dealings with Christ. Few dealings with Christ. We seldom, listen, we seldom travel to his blood. You hear what I'm saying? We believe Jesus is alive, we believe Jesus is there, but we end up living our lives by avoiding the blood of Jesus all too frequently, not confessing our sins, not feeling our dependence on him, not feeling the ugliness of sin. And our hearts are growing cool to the holiness of God and the beauty of Jesus. We seldom travel to his blood, think little of his love and glory. Well, this was happening, this was happening also in Judah. Uh, their hearts were hard towards God. Uh, remember that Habakkuk was deeply discouraged in the beginning as he was writing this at the behavior of God's people. They were certainly at odds with each other, at odds with God and just ripping people off all the time. But he was even more troubled with God's response. I'm going to raise up the Babylonians, a people that are more wicked than you are, and you're pretty bad. But they're worse, and they're going to be my tool to punish you. And, and God's response uh, to um, Habakkuk's next complaint was, was okay, um, I'll, I'll, God said, the righteous shall live by faith. And we see that, that Habakkuk is beginning in that process as we look at chapter 3 here. Uh, Habakkuk 3 is, is, and even as you work how we work our way through it, we're seeing that Habakkuk is getting it more and more. He's understanding that the righteous live by faith in an unchanging, unchanging God, no matter what is around us. He, this is a prayer. Uh, you, you might say that uh, the, the first, uh, uh, that verse 2 is the, is the heart of the prayer, and the rest of it is perhaps an explanation of the prayer, but the whole thing is in the form of a psalm. It begins with the kind of introduction to the psalm. It ends with the kind of, it's to the choir master. It's got the sila showing up in it, which is a word we don't know what it means, but it's some musical direction. It, it, is, it is a psalm that God, that God gives us through, um, through Habakkuk. And when we get it, that the just will live by faith, even when life is hard, when we get it, we start singing this song. Or we start singing this song and we start to get it can work either way. A couple of the verses just reminding you of what we've been singing. Lord, I have heard of your fame. This is verse 2. Lord, I have heard of your fame. I stand in awe of your deeds, O Lord. Renew them in our day. In our time, make them known. In wrath, remember mercy. That's the heart of the prayer of Habakkuk. And it's going to conclude, and we're not even going to speak about these verses uh, today, but it's going to conclude with, with, uh, with, with the second verse uh, at the end of chapter 3. And though the fig, trees does not, the fig tree does not bud, and there's no grapes on the vines, though the olive crop fails and the fields produce no food, 
Though there are no sheep in the pen and no cattle in the stalls, yet I will rejoice in God my Savior. That's where we're going. But here we live. Look at me at this phrase in, in verse 2. In the midst of the years. This is where Habakkuk lives. In the midst of the years. Babylon is coming. We have ahead of us, our city is going to be destroyed. That's what he's looking for. We're in, looking towards. We have that coming to us. But we also have coming to us the hope that Babylon itself is going to be destroyed. That helps a little bit, doesn't it? All of that is going on as we, are, as we are living in the midst of the years, or in the NIV, which we've been singing, in our time. And so it is that we wait now also. We are also, like Habakkuk, in a waiting mode. What are we waiting for? Well, it starts with the coming of Jesus. The, the Lord came in power, in humility and meekness, in power, in the Lord Jesus Christ, born to, to the Virgin Mary. He came once, ascended into heaven... And he's coming again in judgment. And there we are in the middle, hoping for what's coming, trusting on what happened here, living by the Spirit in this age as we wait uh, for what is coming. So we too uh, live in the midst of the years, in our time. We wait for Jesus to return with both judgment and salvation. And so my theme this morning is to live with steadfast trust so that you can sing this song. You hear what I'm saying? Live with steadfast trust so that you can sing this song. But even as I'm preaching this sermon, I'm, I'm thinking it can go the other way. Preach, uh, sing this song so that you can live with steadfast trust as these words sink into our hearts and change us. Join in singing for God's work among us and so that we would be kept centered on Jesus. Well, three things that we ask for in, in that second verse. And we're thinking of what Habakkuk is asking the Lord for in his context. But this is really pointing, even though these Old Testament words are pointing forward to the, to the coming of Christ and to the return of Christ. Revive your work in our time. Revive your work in me. Habakkuk, uh, for him, it, it looked hopeless. It was very dark, but it was not too dark for God. And so he said, preserve me, revive me, preserve my life through this coming judgment. Preserve your people through this coming judgment. Those justified by faith would live by their steadfast trust. Now, what about you and me? We also say, we also pray to God to revive our souls and keep us from spiritual drift. Keep us from coasting off course as Christians, losing sight of the glory and the beauty of Jesus. And you may feel today that you've, got, you've gone kind of far off track and that maybe God can't bring you back. You are not uh, too broken for God to mend. And it starts with what Octavius reminded us here, daily dealings with Christ. Travel daily uh, to his blood. More on that later. Revive your work in me. Make me understand. He's getting it. God will use the Babylonians to punish his people. Uh, God, uh, God brings us trouble so that we can see how far our hearts have drifted. Do you understand that? When God brings trouble into our lives, what we're really like 
shows up even more clearly. How do you relate to people under pressure? How do you relate to people who disagree with you over COVID? How do you relate to people who are of a different culture or race than you? Your heart shows up. You may be pushed along by the tide of your circumstances. You may be pushed offline by the tide of your own emotions. You may be pushed because of just how the bad the world is. And one of the things that we learned a couple of weeks ago from Habakkuk is to say this to God, or to say this even to our own hearts, say less, say less. Don't, stay, don't say stupid things that will bring other people off track with you. <laughs> Keep it quiet and start singing the song. And then it's in wrath, remember mercy. God, you are holy, holy, holy. There is no darkness in you. And we say with Habakkuk, don't forget to show me mercy. God, be merciful to me, the the sinner. And then the song leads us to notice notice, uh, verses um, 3 through uh, 15, uh, actually through the end of the chapter, are all broken up very, very uh, carefully, and as you, as you, as you look um, at the pronouns, you can see what's going on. First of all, we are speaking about God, verses 3 through 7. In the third person, we're talking about God as he, the other, he. Uh, down in, in verses 8 to 15, we're going to the second person. We're talking directly to God, you, talking to God. And then in the third section, 16 to 19, which we're not looking at today, It's my response. I, I will rejoice because of the kind of God that we have. But today, the song leads you to speak, first of all, about God. And and Habakkuk is using language that is is describing God's earlier coming uh, to the Israelites to to evacuate them from from the Exodus. You don't need to have read the, whole, the Bible a whole lot to maybe understand this. Remember, was it Charlton Heston in the Ten Commandments? And, 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 and you, you see the, the, ex, the grand exodus and the Israelites walking through. Well, that's, that is the um, rescue operation par excellence in the Old Testament. And that is really the background for the language that we're seeing right here. Um, and what Habakkuk is doing is saying, look back to what God did in the Exodus, and that's what he's going to do now uh, with the Babylonians coming and then the Babylonians being crushed. God had all that, and he has all this. Verse 3, really referring to Moses, uh, the time of Moses. God came from Timon and from the Holy, the Holy One from Mount Paran. This, and and this, is, this is the area of Mount Sinai, and all God's splendor filled the heavens and the earth was full of praise. We see in verse 4, his brightness was like the light. A rays flashed from his hand. I, I, I don't even know if I've seen Star Wars, but I've heard about it. And I understand that there's thing, this thing, aren't I enlightened that I've heard of Star Wars? Um, and, and there's thing called, this thing called, a, a, is am I right, a lightsaber? And it's got kind of a hum, and it kind of can cut things. It isn't really very powerful, as I can, as I can recall. 
But um, God is so, so much more powerful than... His, His light flies out of his fingers like rays. And the Hebrew there is really horns. Horns that stick more like Wolverine. Isn't he the one that has blades coming out of his fingers? God's even greater than that because they are rays of horns of light shooting out. All powerful. But still his presence is veiled to his people. They, they sense his grandeur and glory, but it's still veiled to them. Verse 5, he used pestilence as a plague, first of all, to redeem his people from Egypt, but also to discipline his own people again and again and again. Uh, verse, verse 5, he, 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 uh, pestilence went, uh, before him went pestilence. The plague followed at his heels. And, and then look at, look at the verbs here in verse 6. He stood in his holy splendor. And he measured the nations. He's stopping his striding. He stands and he measures and he sees everybody. He sees every nation. He sees what's going on. And then it says he's lopping off the mountains. He's crushing the hills as with a sledgehammer. Those nations look strong and look around today. Nations look strong, but if they flaunt the Lord, if they mock his law, uh, they will get crushed now or later. And, and then finally, Kushan, Kushan and, uh, w- which was uh, Israel's first oppressor, and then Midian, which was a constant thorn uh, in Israel's side. Verse 7, uh, those nations will be torn down, uh, were torn down as well. Uh, Habakkuk's point is this. You speak about, we're speaking about God in these verses. Nobody gets away with it. No one escapes God's justice. It's verses 3 3 through 7. Verses 8 through 15. Uh, Now we're going to speak to God. This is the kind of God we're dealing with. The one from whom no one can escape. This is now the God we're speaking to. We're speaking to God, you. And and notice uh, Habakkuk is saying, um, are you angry with your creation? Was your wrath against the rivers, O Lord? Was your anger against the rivers or your indignation? Listen to this. Anger, indignation. Verse 12, fury. Was this against your creation when you rode on your horses and on your chariots of your salvation? The the, the creation is convulsing. The mountains are trembling. The earth is heaving because of the wrath of God is coming. But he's making his way, his path through the Red Sea. He's judging the Egyptians and their gods, but he's rescuing the, the Israelites at the same time. Also, the rivers open up to rescue uh, the Israelites as they enter uh, the, um, the, the, the Promised Land. The Jordan River opens up for them. Verse 11, it refers here, I believe, to the sun standing still so that Joshua was able to gain a victory. But God marches throughout the earth, verse 12, and in fury he threshes the nations. The defeated, uh, he defeated the enemies in Canaan and so he could empty the land for his promise, as, as for his people. Look with me at verse 13. You went out for the salvation of your people, for the salvation of your anointed. Tricky verse. But it does say that God would save his people and it would be accomplished through a Messiah. 
that word Messiah is not used uh, to describe God's, God's people. It is in the singular, and it is very likely that he is referring there to Cyrus. Uh, that as Isaiah says that Cy- Isaiah says that Cyrus will be the Messiah, God will use a foreign pagan king to rescue his people. He's using the Babylonians here to destroy them, but he's going to use he's going to use uh, the the nation that destroyed the Babylonians to release the people back uh, to uh, to Canaan, uh, where they could then get their fresh start in the new land. Habakkuk verse 14 is beginning to understand you pierced you pierced with your with his own arrows the heads of the warriors you're turning and you're turning the the weapons around and destroying our enemies with their own weapons he sees what god will do to them and then he think of his prayer again restore my soul don't let that happen to me <laughs> restore my soul Don't let what you're doing to them happen to me. Please help me to understand your work, O Lord. And I see your wrath coming. I see your wrath coming, but in wrath, remember mercy. Don't forget to show mercy to me and to your people. Now we can make that same prayer. Remember, the Messiah in verse 13 likely applies directly to Cyrus, a human being, God's deliverer, anointed at that time. But that word Messiah, of course, applies in the New Testament very clearly and directly to Jesus Christ, God's anointed Savior, the one who was born to save his people from their sins. And so you and I may also say, that, uh, that uh, God sent our Savior for the salvation of his people and for the salvation, um, for the salvation um, provided that ac- accomplished by uh, the Messiah. Jesus anointed to save his people from their sins. Jesus, why, how can he do that? Because he took the wrath of God, all the wrath that we deserved, he took upon himself. And, and you recall... Um, uh, that uh, when he was being crucified, the earth was shaking, it was convulsing yet again. And the earth split open and darkness covered the earth. And we say, because of that wrath now, being atoned for, paid for by the death of Jesus, we may say with confidence, yes, in wrath, remember mercy. In wrath, remember mercy. Let me, let me wrap this up with two points. That God alone restores yourself, your soul. The wreckage of Jerusalem was severe. Oh, it absolutely was bad. But it points to God's even greater coming wrath. When the whole earth will stagger at God's coming, the words of Peter, the heavens will be set on fire and dissolved. Heavenly bodies will melt as they burn. The, con- the, the creation convulsing at the return now, at the return of Christ on this side. This is Jesus. The sun will be darkened and the powers of heaven shaken. The wrath of God coming upon a world that has rejected his authority. And each one of us can say, 
um, as we do in the third verse of this song that we've been learning. Lord, in your presence, who can stand? My deeds before you are as filthy rags. There's nothing I can bring but a heart full of sin. Yet through the mercy of your Son, I can enter in. It's what each one of us deserves, and none of us can conjure up on our own. Louis XIV built Versailles uh, as a, a testament to his glory. Huge, massive place. Uh, and he wanted to be remembered as the greatest king in the history of the French nation. And part of his self-absorption was found even in the way he arranged his funeral. He wanted the Notre Dame Cathedral in, um, I should have said Notre Dame, uh, Cathedral in France, uh, darkened, except for, except for his casket would have a little flame on it. The everlasting one, right? The preacher who came up uh, to deliver the message actually was the only preacher who, who, who terrified uh, Louis XIV. He was, he was unafraid. So what does he do? He goes up to the casket and he blows out the candle. Oh my goodness. Heads have rolled for far less than that. But he began his sermon with these remarks. Um, only God is great. Only God is great. He brings judgment. He does. He brings judgment. But he also provides mercy. Judah um, had drifted away from God and he brought judgment upon her. And so the question that each of us must ask is, have we, have we drifted away from God? And you know, please, I think you know by now that self-improvement projects don't work in impressing God. You can, you can shape some of your external behaviors for a little while and maybe even change some habits, but that doesn't mean your heart has changed. You can compare yourself to other people and that feels good for about, about maybe four or five seconds. And it just doesn't, it's, it's, so, in, it's so ineffective and it's so, it's so defrauding of glory, of glory to God. Such an awful way to live. But God knows your heart, and here's the really good news. God alone can restore our soul. And you will meet him one day in his wrath or in his mercy. God alone restores the soul. But the second point is that you must, you must deal with Jesus. You must deal with Jesus. Remember Octavius Winslow's markers. Your soul is drifting off course Let's look at them from the, the point of view of drifting away from Jesus. You may know about Jesus. You may know about Jesus. You may know a lot of, a lot of things out of the Bible and about our, our catechisms, which is a great thing. You can know about Jesus. The question, however, is do you know him? Not just the Savior, but your Savior. You trust him as your Savior. The second thing is, have you lost the sweetness of God as Father? That you, you have to admit, you know, when, truth, when push comes to shove, most of the time you do your duty because you're supposed to and, and you kind of like to increase, increase his view of you just a little bit. See, I'm a, I'm a good boy. 
getting up and doing my devotions without even being told, good form. But you can do your duty without the nearness of God and the delight in Him. And this is the shocking part. You can do your duty without the delight in Him and, and amazingly not really perceiving, listen to this, His delight in you. For my money, the most staggering verse in all the Bible is two pages over. Zephaniah 3.17. What gold could you find in a little book like Zephaniah in the Old Testament? Well, let's find some gold, people. Verse 17, uh, chapter 3, Zephaniah. The Lord your God is in your midst, a mighty one who will save. He will rejoice over you with gladness. We get it that that's what we're here to do for God. But He will rejoice over you with gladness. He will quiet you by His love. He will exult, celebrate over you with loud singing. You're the bride. Your groom is heads over heels in love with you. He loves you so much that he is beautifying you even today to prepare you for glory when we will see this verse actually come true in ways that we can only imagine now. So if you drift, if you drift from Jesus, you're also, of course, drifting from your love for his people, becoming cool and resentment and superior, as I said. And if you are becoming cool and resentful and superior, it is, you, it is impossible that you're seeing God at all. You can't look at, other, at, his, at his blessed people in those terms with any kind of clear vision of what God has done for you in Jesus. And what we all need, no matter where we are now, what we all need uh, is, is to have fresh dealings with Christ. You remember what he said, Octavius said, fourthly, that, that you have few dealings with Christ. That's the drifting person. But here we are, at the end of this sermon, at the end of seeing something of God, of hearing something of His splendor, of seeing something of the Messiah that He has pr- provided for us so that we may say, in wrath, remember mercy and know that He will. Today and on the day of judgment, He will provide all the mercy you need as you come to the Messiah, as you have dealings with the Messiah. Uh, Octavius said Christians sometimes, they seldom travel to His blood during this drifting state. missing his glory and his love. Or, or it could be that you're sitting here this morning and you never have traveled to the blood of Jesus. Well, this is the day for that as well, to acknowledge that you are a sinner in need of the mercy of Christ and the mercy is available for you. Come to him. Deal with Jesus. And for those of us who have been Christians for a while, we must deal with Jesus every day. Uh, we must have dealings with Jesus every day. As we wake up in the morning, as we live our day, as we go, go to sleep at night, 
Remember this, he is more ready to give you mercy than you are to ask for it. Ask him now. Let's uh, take a few moments and deal with Christ before we, before we sing our closing hymn. Jesus, we praise you um, for um, the blood that um, flowed from your side at Calvary, blood that um, covers us who look to you in faith. And we pray that you would refresh us by your Spirit, by your Holy Spirit, uh, even as we look, uh, look to you. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.